Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 paul says in first corinthians chapter 10 he likens the red sea crossing of the israelites when they left egypt and they came into the land of canaan into the land of promise he likened that to baptism where they're leaving their slavery They're leaving their bondage. They're leaving that hardship. They're leaving their taskmasters. They're leaving that behind. And through the waters of the Red Sea, through the waters of baptism, they're coming into the land of promise. They're coming into the land of Canaan. That's what it's like. You're leaving your past behind and you're getting a fresh, clean start. In the Jewish mindset, this fresh start was so powerful so strong in the life of someone who is confessing faith through baptism that it was as though they were being reborn. Now, doesn't this shine new light on Jesus' words in John chapter 3 when he's speaking to that religious leader, Nicodemus? And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. Don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born again. You have to be born again, anothen in the Greek, from above. You have to have a spiritual birth. You've been born physically. You have a fleshly, physical birth that took place. You're in a physical body. But if you want to come into the presence of God, you have to be born again. You have to be born from above. You have to have a spiritual rebirth. You need to be reborn, born all over again. That's, again, what baptism signified, symbolized for the Jewish mindset. That's what baptism symbolizes for you and for me. I want to make this very clear baptism will not save you. You're not saved through the act of baptism. What baptism is, it's an outward profession or confession or expression of something that has already happened inwardly. I read somewhere this last week that baptism is an expression of faith the same way that words are an expression of thought. Let me say that again. Baptism is an expression of faith, something that you believe, something that is so strong within you, the same way that we express our thoughts through our words. If you want to make your thoughts come to life, you have to speak them out. If you want your faith to come to life, you have to speak that out. You have to go through the rite of baptism. You have to be baptized. Again, baptism doesn't save you, but it's an outward expression of what God has already done within you. Now, we have these outward expressions that we kind of use every day. And the main one that I can think of is the outward expression of a wedding ring. 
right? If I'm wearing this wedding ring, I'm saying something to the world. I'm saying, listen, I'm married. My heart is pledged to another, right? I belong to Sarah and to Sarah alone and no one else. And so I wear this as an outward expression of something that I believe, something that my heart is true to on the inside. This is an outward expression of my belief or my thought. That is what baptism is like. How would Sarah feel? How should Sarah feel if I took my wedding ring off and I left it on the counter every time I left to go to work or every time I left to go out to the store or any time I wasn't at home. And when I came back home, I picked back up the ring and I put back on the ring. I don't think that she would feel very secure in my love for her or my commitment to her. And this is the same way I believe the Lord looks at us when we aren't willing to take that step of commitment that step of outwardly professing to the world that this is what God has done for me. He saved me from my sin. I was buried with him in baptism. I identify with what he did on the cross. That's where my identity is at. I am one with Jesus. If we're not willing to take that step of faith, to profess our faith in that matter, it's like taking off the ring and walking in and out. You can't do that to the Lord. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men or confesses me before men, I will acknowledge or confess before my Father in heaven. But anyone who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. If you're not willing to go through the act of baptism, the celebration really of baptism, then you're denying the Lord. You're looking him in the eye and saying, you know what, I'm too ashamed of our relationship to profess this to the people that would be watching. What a terrible, terrible place to be. Again, listen to this first, verse three. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Look at verse four. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in this newness of life. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism. When we go under, it's as though we walk into that tomb with him. It's as though we walk into that tomb and we confess Yes, Lord, this is what my sin deserved. Yes, this tomb that you experienced, the cold stone slab, the stone that was rolled in front of, that's what my sin deserved. I'm identifying with your plan for salvation. Yes, I'm meeting with you here under the waters of baptism. This is what was supposed to be my consequence. This was my sin. I meet with you in this place. Yes, Lord, I'm confessing that you are right. This tomb was my tomb. But then look at just as we are buried with him, we are also raised with him. And therein is the crux of the gospel. That is the crescendo of the gospel, the good news that God loved you enough to send his son Jesus to die for you, but that he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He rose from the tomb claiming victory over sin and over death. That is the gospel right? That you get to participate in that good news that just as Jesus walked out of that tomb, so when you come up out of the waters of baptism, you walk out of that tomb as well. That that tomb does not hold you, that your sin does not hold you any longer, that you've been released and set free from that sin, that you walk out a free person, been made new, reborn in essence. Why? He's very clear here. So that you could walk in newness of life. That word walk means conduct. It means lifestyle. And the word newness there is a word that means fresh in quality or new in time. That God wants to do a, a work in you like that. He doesn't want you to live your old life. In the book of Revelation, God says that, behold, I'm making all things new. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, right? A new creation, something fresh in quality, something new, something that has yet been unheard of. That's what the word means. But here's what I found very interesting when I was reading this last week, that the translation of this Greek word kainos in Greek, when you translate it into Hebrew, it's the word hadas. And one of the ways that the word hadas in Hebrew was used, it was used to describe a woman who had just been married. Now think about that just for a moment. That you have been buried with Christ in baptism so that just as you were buried with him in baptism, you might be raised and that you might be able to walk in newness of life. You've just been wed. That you've just been married to the one who purchased your life. What an amazing, beautiful thought to have. That that's the kind of newness that God wants in you. In a few weeks, we're going to be looking at this text in Romans chapter 12, but this is what it says. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen to me right now. Many of you are struggling through this time of quarantine and lockdown because your thoughts are controlling you. Your thoughts are running wild, and you're having these hypotheticals. You're torturing yourself with your thoughts. This scripture says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God wants to make your mind new. If you're having thoughts right now, right, thoughts that are negative, thoughts that are pushing you down, thoughts that are leading you towards a place of defeat, those thoughts are not from God, and you need to identify where those thoughts come from. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You need to take those thoughts captive. If you're going to really have a renewed mind, you have to take your thoughts captive. You have to hold on to that thought, grab that thought, and say, is this thought a thought that leads me towards peace? Is this thought a thought that leads me into the presence of God? Is this thought there from God? And if it is not there from God, then where is it from? And if it's not from God, you need to make sure you cast that thought out because you only want thoughts that are there from the Lord. That's how you renew your mind, to the renewal of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Take every thought captive. Who am I? What is my identity wrapped up in? Right? How do I see myself? Who am I really when I look into the mirror? God's love for me. I'm precious in the sight of God. I want you to start looking in the mirror and start looking at yourself as a bride who's just been wed to the person that you, you've wanted to wed all of your life, that you've been wed to Jesus. That's who you are. You've been reborn. You're not the same old person. You have freedom from that lifestyle. You don't have to go back to that sin. Read on with me. Look at verse 5. Paul goes on, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, in some translations it says likeness of his death. Now, when I was a younger man and I had a younger son, this is my son up here who helps with worship. Those of you who don't know, his name is Caleb. He just turned 15. But when Caleb was younger, Caleb had no problem dressing like his dad. I mean, we had the same t-shirts, we had the same shoes, we wore the same hats. He wanted to be like his father. He wanted to look like his father. When I was young, I had no problem dressing like my father. I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to grow up to be like my father. Right now, a man who's on the precipice of turning 40 years old, I want to be like my heavenly father. I want to look like the Lord. 
right? And Jesus said that he who has seen me has seen the Father. So if I want to look like the Father, that means I want to look like Jesus. I want to look like Jesus. And here Paul says that we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, looking like his death. And again, not that his death is something that I would desire. I don't want to desire to be beaten. I don't want to be tortured. I don't want to have my beard plucked out. I don't want to to be flogged. I don't want to have a crown of thorns thrust upon my brow. I don't want to be whipped and then nailed to a cross. But you know what I do want? I want to have the same sacrifice in mind that Jesus had as I live my life. See, he died. He went to that cross willingly. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. Speaking of the resurrection, that's the kind of life I want. I want to look like Jesus because I know when I look like Jesus, I look like my father in heaven in the likeness of his death, united in the likeness of his death. But he goes on, if we have been united with him in a likeness of his death, we so certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his, in the likeness of his resurrection. You follow Jesus into the tomb, you follow Jesus out of the tomb. That's what this is saying, right? I'm going to enjoy the resurrection if I also identify with him in the crucifixion. Now, the word united means to be planted together, but then also to grow together, to become intertwined. I don't want the world to be able to tell where Chris begins and the Holy Spirit ends. I don't want them to be able to tell the difference between me and Jesus. And I'm not perfect, and I don't accomplish that very often, but that's what my desire would be. Lord, I want to grow united with you. I want us to be intertwined. I want us to be locked together. I want us to be that in sync, that in unity, that the world wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I want to look like you in this. Paul would say this in Galatians chapter 2, He would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. United with him in the likeness of his death to be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. What an amazing thought. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3 that he counted everything is lost. He willingly sacrificed everything. He walked away from what his life had become. He walked away from his old life, his old success. Why? So that he would be able to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings so that he could know the cross and the resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection. That is what Paul wanted more than anything in life was to know and understand Jesus like that. The only way you can do that is by being buried with him so that you can be raised with him. You identify with Jesus in the tomb so you walk out with Jesus from that tomb. Again, look at what this says here, reading on with me. In the same verse, he says, we shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse six, we know that our old self, that word old means worn out. And isn't that what sin does? It just wears you down. It wears you out. That old self, that worn out self was crucified with him. It's as though I went to the cross with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That word nothing can be translated destroyed, but really what it means is paralyzed, to be made inoperable or ineffective. And now this body of sin, the sinful body has been paralyzed because I've gone to the cross with Jesus. Now this brings us to our second point. If you're taking notes, 
we've seen now the identification through baptism. We identify, this is who I am. This is my identity. This is how I see myself. This is where I find my worth to now the liberation from sin. Look at the next verse or the next part of this verse. Verse 6, one more time. We know then that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer would be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Jesus said, if you practice sin, you're a slave to sin. But the good news, Jesus follows up in John chapter 8. He says, but whom the Son sets free is really free indeed. You don't have to be enslaved to that sin any longer. Jesus, when he got up and he spoke in the uh, synagogue in Luke chapter 4, he opened up a text out of Isaiah 61, and he read this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God has sent me to set the captives free, he says. Jesus would say, I have the keys to death and to Hades, and I can set you free from your sin today. No matter what your sin is, no matter what has you bound, no matter what your addiction, no matter what your anger, no matter what your thoughts, Jesus has the keys to set you free today, and he will do just that if you will come to him and identify with him and say, yes, I believe that when you died, I died with you. And I believe that when you rose, I rose with you. That holds the key. You no longer have to be enslaved to sin, for he who has died has been set free from sin. Now, something very interesting would happen if if a slave escaped during the days when Jesus walked the earth. If a slave were to escape his Jewish owners, and that slave went and confessed Judaism and went through the rite of baptism, that that slave was no longer owned by that Jewish owner because that person literally had been reborn. They were set free. And this is what I want you to understand this morning, that when you're baptized in that baptism, there's a release that takes place. You're no longer guilty for your old sins because that person is dead. That person no longer exists. You're now someone who has been made new. And so sin no longer can say that he's your master. He no longer has you enslaved to sin. You've been literally set free. Freedom, declared free, declared not guilty, acquitted on all charges. A beautiful thought. Look at this, verse eight. Now, if we have died with him, We believe that we also will live with him. Now, I want to just point out here, the opposite is true also. If you have not identified with Christ in the crucifixion, if you have not, the same can be said the opposite direction. If we have not died with Christ, we know that we will not live with him. If you've not confessed Jesus as your Savior, you don't have the hope of eternal life. You have to confess Jesus as your Savior. Again, baptism will not save you. Baptism is the outward profession of what has already taken place In the inside, verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus went to the cross. He was buried in a tomb. He rose from the grave. He will never visit another tomb again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Sin no longer has dominion over him. He's declared victory. He took the stinger out of death, the scripture says. He removed the stinger from death. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2. God raised him up, speaking of Jesus, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. He could not be held by death. Death could not hold him in that tomb. 
And the same is true for you if you identify with Christ. That tomb can no longer hold you back, can no longer hold you down. Now, listen to this, verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now look at the next verse here, verse 11. And as we look at verse 11, what I want you to see is that there needs to be an appropriation of truth in your life. You have to take this truth that we're studying about today, the fact that you're no longer bound by your sin. You have to appropriate this truth into your life. You have to accept this truth as your own. You have to own this truth. It has to become so real in you that you're forced to profess it, to confess this truth. Now look at what he says in verse 11. So you also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is the truth that you must appropriate in your life, that you are dead to sin, that that's no longer your life, that that sin has been cut out of you, that that sin was buried in the tomb and that you rose new and that you're now alive in Christ. You need to walk that out. If I had a check and I came to you and I wrote you a check for $1,000 and I said, here, I want to just bless you with this check. Here's a $1,000 check. In order for you to enjoy the fruits of that check, you have to have enough faith to take that check down to the bank and to deposit that check. That's the only way you're going to be able to enjoy the money that that check represents. In the same sense, if you're going to enjoy the fact, the truth, the glorious truth that you've been set free from sin, you have to take the check to the bank. You have to believe it enough to walk it. In John chapter 5, there's a man who for 38 years had been invalid, and he sat every day at this pool. And the, the superstition was that there was an angel that would come down and would stir the waters of this pool. And the first person that would be able to dip themselves into this pool after the angel had stirred it would be healed of their infirmities. And so there were this, dozens of people around this pool waiting for the waters to be stirred so that they could jump into the pool first and be healed of their infirmity. And this man was there. Jesus comes to him, and he says, Again, after 38 years, Jesus knows he's been there. 38 years, he's been invalid. Do you want to be healed? And the man says, I want so desperately to be healed, but I have no one to help me into the waters when they're stirred. No one will help me get into the water for healing. Jesus looks at the man and says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, at that moment, the man had a choice to make. Am I going to appropriate this truth? Am I going to put feet to my faith? Jesus has just spoken that I can be healed, that I can take this bed up and I can walk. Now, this man could have said, you know what? It makes no sense. You didn't even dip me into the water, right? No angel stirred the waters. I wasn't placed in the pool. I I can't be healed. And he could have continued to suffer as an invalid lying there for years to come. But that's not what happened. He heard the word spoken by Jesus. He reckoned it to be true. He considered it and then he owned that truth. That's what I mean. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Reckon yourselves. Own the truth that you are dead to sin and alive to God. He heard that he had been healed. He believed it enough that he actually took his bed up and he walked home a healed man. Many of you have heard the word spoken. You're forgiven. You're free from your sin, but you're still suffering lying on the mat. When you hear those words, you are dead to sin, you need to trust in the finished work of the cross and you need to take your bed up and walk. You need to go back home a healed person. You need to experience the freedom that there is in Christ, freedom from sin. You have to appropriate that truth for yourself. Again, look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You don't have to give in to sin any longer. Not one day further. Stop. You can look at sin and you can say, you no longer have mastery over me. You're no longer my master. I no longer am enslaved to you. I can say no. You're not the boss of me. You're dead to sin. You're alive in Christ. But the only way you can experience that is if you appropriate that truth. You say, yes, that truth is for me. I own that truth. Right? There's a difference here. We can quote John 3.16 all day long. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it's something different when we say God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. I appropriate that truth for myself. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's something different to say God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God will never leave me nor forsake me. You have to reckon yourself. You have to consider yourself. You have to confess that. You have to own that truth. I am dead to sin. Sin no longer has rights to me, and I am alive in Christ. You got to take up your bed, and you got to walk. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977